Good morning, Cedar Home. Man, it is fun to be with you guys, and um, I like the carpet. Nice work. Um, I was telling somebody this morning, uh, when we first, I, I pastored in Monroe um, for 23 of the last 26 years. Uh, again, my name is Nate Hedinga. I'm recovering church planter and um, am now the regional president for Converge Northwest, which is the five states here in the Northwest that make up uh, Converge, which used to be Baptist General Conference, which used to be the Swedish Baptist Convention way back in the day. But uh, I was telling somebody this morning, when we first moved into our new building in Monroe, uh, we ran out of money and uh, spent about a year and a half with no carpet on the floor. And you guys at least had figured out how to dial in the sound with a concrete floor. We did not. And uh, man, I, remember, I remember I had to learn to preach differently because I was used to talking fast, talking at a normal communicative p uh, pace. But in our room, which is about the same size as this one, um, we didn't have it dialed in at all. And so I would speak and then have to wait for the echo to hit the wall, hit the wall, and then come past my ear again. And then say the next set. So I felt like I was translating myself for uh, a couple of years until um, we were able to, to move ahead. Hey, um, let me just uh, give a, a quick update. I, I want to just share with you guys, because this was exciting, and because it was only half the drive to come to see you this morning. Uh, last Sunday, we, I, we live in Monroe, and uh, by the way, my wife, Amy, uh, we're about to celebrate 35 years of marriage, but she's right here in the front with me today. Yeah. By far the better half of this relationship. But um, last week I was speaking up in, in Linden. I don't know if you guys knew this. I didn't know until I, I started hanging out with this, this uh, group up in, in Linden. Um, the Guinness Book of World Records at one point had Linden, Washington listed as the, um, they had the most churches per capita of any city in the entire country. Now, if you were to have been a betting person, uh, and, and you were to, to say, hey, wh where do, what do you think, what do you think ha has the most churches? You would not have picked Linden. You'd have picked like Nashville, right? Or, or something in the deep south or Texas. Linden. Uh, and it's not necessarily because they were doing a lot of church planting back in the day, which, you know, you figure out if you drive through Linden, there's first reformed, second reformed, third reformed, fourth reformed. Um, every, every, and I actually asked because the parking lot of Linden Community Church, where I was speaking last Sunday, uh, in, from the parking lot, you could throw a rock and hit four different churches on all four corners of that parking lot. And I said, what's the deal up here? And, they said, and this was an elder who'd been in the community for more than 60 years. He said, yeah, we got a lot of churches because we don't get along very well. I was like, oh, okay, so that kind of church planting. Yeah, that's the kind where uh, it's a split and now it's a plant. Thank you, Lord. Right. Uh, right. But here's the, the, the good news. Out of all of those churches, uh, the oldest one is uh, Linden Community Church, and they just joined Converge. Uh, so I was up there to be able to celebrate with them, um, and they're in a revitalization process. They have a younger pastor. Um, I don't know if you've ever been to a church that is, is on, on a downslope, right? They're fading, but one of, the, one of the early signs of that is all the children's classrooms are now storage, Right? I was in a church not long ago. They had 11 pianos stored in former children's classrooms. 
that, that's not a good thing. But at this church in Linden, the, the great news we were celebrating was uh, the, the new pastor and the, the new growth that has come, and it's still very, very small. Um, they had to clear out two of those storage rooms and turn them back into children's rooms. Isn't that, isn't that great? So praise God, uh, you have a new sister church uh, just up north, just a little ways. And, and I also share that with you to share that God is at work in and among us. And I know, I know, I know, it's been a little while. You guys have been in a pastoral search process now for not just months, but it's past a year. And uh, I want to just echo uh, the search team has been doing a fantastic job. They really have. Uh, and, and in any leadership role, it's a, it's a commitment that you might sign up for and you say, yeah, I think the Lord might be asking me to do that. And you say yes to it. And it's a nice service thing. It's a meeting every so often. When you're looking for a pastor, it's an all hands on deck, sort of a, a part-time job is what it becomes. And this team is doing great work. So can we just say thank you to that, that group? Yeah, good job. Thank you. And God is leading the right leader to you. I'm here this weekend because uh, you were going to have a candidate. And uh, the Lord changed some things up in that person's life. And uh, from the story that I know anyway, I would say it was the right, he was the right kind of guy. Because he ended up staying because of tragedy occurring in, uh, in his city. So... Um, God is at work, and he's not done yet with your search process. And, and here's the good news. You already have the good shepherd. You already have the chief cornerstone. Uh, you already have the groom. And, uh, and we're just looking for the right under-shepherd. But the church is you. The church is the body of Jesus Christ, dispersed, and right now we're gathered, and so we're trusting God for what is to come. Yeah, you guys, uh, Eric read just a moment ago the uh, mission statement or vision statement for you here at Cedar Home Church. Let me just share with you um, the one that we have for Converge Northwest. This is what drew me in and caused me to leave the church that I was leading, had planted, and, and uh, led for over two decades. Converge Northwest exists to help people meet, know, and follow Jesus. How do we do that? Two primary means. We start churches, and we strengthen the churches that exist. And uh, my time is fairly divided between those two things. We start churches, and we help those churches that exist to be stronger, to be better, to be more effective. And we're doing that all for the greater purpose of making disciples who will then make disciples who will then make disciples. And uh, despite the circumstances, despite times where it feels like, man, Lord, you, you should have come through by now. It feels like we've been waiting too long. Even in the midst of all of that, we stay on mission. We pray, we wait, we continue to seek, we do our part, but we, we stay on mission. We do not lose heart. And this is who we are as a movement. And so what do we do when we're not exactly sure what's next? We do what the Church of Jesus Christ has done generation after generation. When things aren't what we expect, we continue to come back to our mission, back to Jesus. This morning, I'm going to take us on a little bit of a journey. We're going to take a, a, a bigger chunk of text than a guest speaker usually does. Usually a guest speaker will come in and, and choose a, a story or a small text because that's smart. That has not been something I've ever been accused of, and so we're going to do an entire chapter today. You ready? Okay, I'm going to talk fast. You guys listen fast. 
and uh, open up to the book of Philippians if you would. Um, we're going to take a look at that first chapter together. Let me take you back a little bit. About uh, four years ago, right about this time, um, I was going on a 12-week sabbatical. And uh, that sabbatical had already been approved by the elder board of uh, Cascade Church, where I was pastoring at the time. Uh, but before I went on sabbatical, it had already been approved by the elders. Um, I felt like God was leading me to at least put my hand in the air for this job of, this weird job of, of pastoring pastors, of, of working in a, in a context that's five states wide and uh, over 100, now 110 churches deep. And, uh, and I really didn't want it. And so I, I, but I felt like God was at least calling towards it. And so I told our leaders, hey, listen, I wrote the sabbatical policy. I know what it says. I'm not supposed to be in a, a like looking for something else while I'm on this break. And, and so we had decided um, as a board, they, they were gracious and they said, go ahead and take your sabbatical. We're not sure what God's going to do. But that led to 12 weeks, which became five and a half months of uncertainty where I wasn't sure, God, what are you going to do? And for five and a half months, we weren't sure. Are we staying at the church that we'd founded and led and loved deeply and thought I would die there? In fact, people would ask me, how long you, you, you plan on being here? And I'd say, yeah, I'm gonna, we've got enough pastors around here. I'm going to die preaching, and somebody else will hop up and roll it right into a memorial service, and it'll be great. You guys find another pastor next week. But God had changed that. And so I was, I was going through more insecurity personally than I had since I was 14 years old. But I was a grown-up. And, uh, and, and so as we went off on that sabbatical, we were away for much of that time. Uh, I just decided I'm going to read, instead of a, a reading through like the whole Bible or something audacious, I just decided I'm going to focus, I felt like the Lord was saying, just on the book of Philippians. And I'm going to read it every day and then rinse and repeat the next morning. And God did that on purpose. I wasn't sure why. I just felt like that's what I needed to do. And so um, I got to know this book fairly well, and I, I just was struck again by how full of wisdom and perspective for uncertain times is the book of Philippi, though the book of Philippians written to the church plant in Philippi. And this is a little bit subjective, but it seems to me that there are more little pithy sayings that we can find crocheted or memorized in the book of Philippians than in any other letter of similar size. Paul's letter to this church plant in Philippi is, is sometimes called the epistle of joy. You, you've maybe heard that before. Or you read it, and, and over and over again, the word joy or rejoice is, is mentioned. In fact, joy is referenced 13 times in these very short four-chapter letter. And that's probably why I felt like God was leading me to soak in it for a period of time. And here's the weird thing, though. It's known as the epistle of joy, but the context in which it was written is anything but joyful. Because Paul is writing from prison in Rome where he fully expects to die. And he's writing to this little group of new Christians in a church in a Gentile, very, very lost, very, very secular town. And they're starting to experience some persecution, some opposition to their faith. And shortly, many of those people will actually be persecuted to the point of death. 
And so Paul's writing from prison in Rome, expecting to die, writing to people that he loves. I think, arguably, this is one of his favorite churches. Maybe the apostle wasn't supposed to have favorite churches, but we all do. Change is in the air, as Paul writes. And so he's got these big themes that overarch everything else. Joy over despair. He says, I, I want you to choose peace over turmoil. I want, you to, I want you to learn to pray and to trust over anxiety and worry. And four years ago, that particular sabbatical summer, um, as I was soaking in this letter to Philippi, I was also doing a lot of hiking most of it on the Pacific Crest Trail, which runs right down the spine of the Cascades from Canada and then clear down to Mexico. Lots of miles to think, to pray, to evaluate, to wrestle, to cry, to yell, and eventually to rest in the presence of God. And God spoke powerfully in that time. And I'm going to share some of those thoughts with you. Key verse in chapter 1 is found in verse 27. I'll just show you the picture of what it looked like for over a year on the wall in our dining room. That's my wife's handwriting, not mine. Key verse. Paul says this. Remember the context. He's in prison expecting to die. He's writing to his friends who are beginning to undergo persecution, and it's going to get worse for them. And this is what he says. Whatever happens, you conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. I don't know about you, but when I'm not sure, when I feel a little discombobulated inside, I need this reminder. Because I'm, I then get tempted to, to say things or to have attitudes or to do things that are anything but this. I start getting tempted to complain, to be critical, to whine about the way things are and the way I think that they ought to be. And so personally, I've been resting in Paul's reminder to keep the main thing, the main thing for the last several years, because in times of uncertainty, we cling to this truth. Whatever happens, you conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me share with you a little bit of larger context for just a moment. Paul planted the church in Philippi a few years before he writes this letter. It's actually the first church plant to be planted in Europe. In Acts chapter 16, if you were to turn over there, you can kind of get the church planting story of how this church came into being. Paul is on a missionary trip, a church planting trip. He's got a couple of guys named Timothy and Silas. And they're headed actually in a different direction. You ever had this happen where you're, you're headed one way, you have a plan, and then partway through your journey, God redirects you. Now, it, just might, it might happen tomorrow where you look at your calendar and you have a list of appointments and meetings and taking the kids here and there and the things that you're supposed to do, and then God redirects. What do we do when God redirects and interrupts and changes what we think the day is going to be like? Here's what happens. Paul actually uh, is asleep, and he has this dream of a, a guy in Macedonia crying out and saying, come over to us. Paul wakes up, and he recognizes that was not 
bad pizza the night before. That was, that was actually the voice of the Holy Spirit. And so he wakes up and he, and he tells his traveling companions, Silas and Timothy, we're going somewhere different than what we thought we were going. And they're going, what, what's there? Where are we gonna, is there a Marriott there? Is, is it, will our points transfer? There? I mean, he said, I, I don't know, but that's where we're going. I had this dream. Here we go. And they show up in Philippi. Acts chapter 16 tells the story. This, this man in the dream says, come over to Macedonia and help us. Paul immediately changed his plans, concluding that God had called us to preach, he said, the gospel to them. Question, do you live ready? Do you live ready? Can God change your plans without you freaking out? I remember I was in high school, and, uh, and I remember my mom uh, giving a message. I don't remember where she was, was speaking. It might have been a women's group or youth group or something. And, and I heard her say something that I had never heard growing up. I must, actually, I must have been in my first year of college, and I was home. And she said this. She said, I think every follower of Jesus should keep a passport that is up to date and a small fund little money that's been squirreled away, just in case God says go. And I remember hearing that and thinking, I like that. I didn't even have a passport at the time. And so we've tried to do that in our lives. Are, are you ready if God were to say, not left, I want you to go right? And here's the first converts in chapter 16 of Acts. Lydia, who's a businesswoman who sold purple cloth, she and her family gave their lives to Jesus as Paul and Timothy and Silas preached. And then the, the second person who was the, the, in that early, on, or early uh, group of people that accepted Christ was a slave girl who was actually demon-possessed. And her owners had decided that this was a business model that he was actually going to benefit from. And so when she was freed of her demons and had given her life to Jesus, it created a riot in the town of Philippi. And so they end up in jail where the third grouping that becomes the part of the core group of that new church plant, the jailer and his family give their lives to Jesus. They respond to the gospel. Now, can you imagine starting a new church with those handful of people? Paul loved these guys. I think he loved the story of how they began. And so, key thought, remember, Verse 27, whatever happens, you walk with God. Philippians chapter 1, verse 1 says this, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all of God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and the deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is writing with a very similar opening that he did with many of his churches. But I just want to point out one thing, and it's how Paul describes himself. Paul and Timothy, he says, servants of Christ Jesus. Now, the, the Greek word that underlies that, where we get the word servant, is the word doulos. It's, a, it's a, the word for someone who willingly says to another, I submit to you, I will serve you, I will be willingly your servant. And there was a whole procedure where they would, would take their earlobe and they would have it, a dowel driven through it and into the door post of the house of the master. And that person would be willingly saying, I am yours. 
And what Paul and Timothy are saying is, not I'm a prisoner in Rome, not my plans have been changed. What he's not saying is, here I am, the guy who planted all these churches and did all these things, and God was using powerfully, and now I'm just set aside in jail. Probably going to die here. He doesn't describe himself as a prisoner of Rome. Do you catch that? He describes himself as a servant of Jesus Christ. Is that your identity? If you've given your life to Jesus, do you think of yourself as he is my identity, not my circumstances, not where I was born, not my socioeconomic status? I am a servant of Jesus. Paul goes on, verse 3, and he says, and by the way, this is my prayer for you, Cedar Home. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers, for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from that first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Remember, there's a man in prison writing these words to a group of people experiencing persecution, all potentially risking their lives to follow Christ. Verse 7, it's right for me to feel this way about all of you since I, I have you in my heart. And whether I'm in chains or I'm defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. Paul is one of those guys who's never quite satisfied with the status quo. He uses this phrase more and more all through his letters. More and more. Never satisfied. So that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Pause there for just a moment. Again, we're going to circle around this theme. Whatever happens, whatever happens, you walk with Jesus. Whatever happens, you walk with Jesus. Back to verse 6 for just a moment. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you, he is going to carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. The good work that God is doing in your life continues. God started this, and he will complete it. And I want you to, to think about that personally for just a moment. Whatever God is doing in your life, whether you've already come to the place of saying, I give you my life, Jesus, or whether you're still deciding whether or not to do that. Wherever you're at, trust this, that God has begun something in your life and he will complete it. He's not finished with you. The chapter that you're in right now is likely not the end of the story. And the good work that he's doing will continue. What's the next step that God is moving you towards? personally. And as a church, the good work that God began in you 
decades ago, is not yet complete. What's the next step that God is moving this church towards? We're not completely sure. We know that there's a, a pastoral search that is going on, and, and we're trusting God to bring that next leader here. We don't know everything that's coming, but we do know this. God started it, and he's not done yet. In fact, may I be so bold as to say, I believe that the best days of Cedar Home Church are not in the rearview mirror. The best days of Cedar Home Church are yet ahead of you. Do you believe that? If you don't, go home. If you don't believe that, then you're just riding a ship that's slowly sinking. We believe with Paul that there is more and more yet ahead. As I drove in here, we were a little bit early, and we did a couple of laps around the church, which is not easy to do because there's farm right out there. And I'll tell you, this, this doesn't happen very often. I still have the heart of a church planter. And as I drove through your neighborhoods and I saw all of these homes and these developments and more yet to come, you know, it makes my heart beat a little bit faster because there is opportunity. And God is at work in you, and as he works in you, he is going to work through you in your community. The best days are yet to come. Whatever happens, whatever happens, you walk with Jesus. God started this, and he'll complete it. When circumstances are difficult, when life is uncertain, when change is happening all around us, that is exactly the time to let your heart grow softer, not harder. And Paul says, let your love grow. Whatever happens, you walk with Jesus. He started this, and he'll complete it. And in the meantime, while you wait for what God is going to reveal, for what he is going to do next, your job, my job, is to let our love grow. This is exactly the time to love deeply and to listen well to the Holy Spirit and to one another. Because here's the reality. Change brings discomfort, doesn't it? Some of us are crazy and we like change. I'm an activator first in terms of personality and motivation, so I like change. But as we talk in our marriage all the time, I like change out here. I like to keep, you know, what's going on at home pretty copacetic, right? We're not going to be changing too much around here. But when change happens and change brings discomfort or pain, it's really easy to become critical, isn't it? To find somebody to blame, to become overly sensitive or reactionary. And Paul's prayer, his encouragement is this, let your love grow in the fertile soil of uncertainty. I'm going to say that again. You read it down. It was really good. <laughs> let your love grow in the fertile soil of uncertainty. Whatever happens, you walk with Jesus. Paul also says in these first few verses, learn to live with discernment and purity. Stay close to Jesus, verses 9 through 11. This is my prayer. He says that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. What he is not giving them is how to become a survivalist because persecution is on the way. What he says is, while things are uncertain and while difficulty and storm clouds are on the horizon, we're not sure where all this is going, you 
My prayer for you is that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what's best, may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ Jesus. You can't change your circumstances. You can't avoid change. Some pain is inevitable. So pay attention to what you can control. You can control your reactions. You can learn to live with discernment. And walk with Jesus, Paul says. Become someone for whom you could never be accused and have it actually stand up. Blameless. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. What's that? Well, it's the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians tells us the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And so I would just ask you this morning, where is God pressing in on you in terms of your walk with him these days? Which of the fruit of the Spirit is he asking you to, to stretch into, to learn to practice more? Love, joy, peace, patience. By the way, don't pray for patience unless you mean it. Because you know what God will do. He'll give you an opportunity to practice it. Where's God pressing you, stretching you to grow? Which fruit is he stretching you towards? And now Paul, starting in verse 12, he gives us a little bit of an update. He's, he started out with, hi, it's me, servant of Jesus. He tells him, here's how I'm praying for you guys. And now he says, let me, let me tell you what's been going on with me. And so he gives an update. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what's happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. That's an interesting perspective. He's in jail. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. There's actually extra biblical material that tells us that the Apostle Paul had to have his, his guards rotated. Of course, they did that generally, but, but he became a danger because he kept leading his Roman Praetorian guards to faith in Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? He's in jail. But he recognizes that apart from Jesus, he's nothing. And so he's going to share the hope that lies within him. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Verse 15, it's true. It's true. Some people preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel, the former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. So he had some people who were, who were out there saying, see, Paul's in prison because he's a criminal. <laughs> but the way that we lead our church, the way we follow Jesus, we're actually better than him. And Paul is aware of that, and he's like, you know, as long as the message of Christ is going out, I don't care how big of a jerk you are. That's hard, isn't it? Paul goes on. But what does it matter? Verse 18. The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, I'm going to say it again. I rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what's happened to me is going to turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. 
Did he think he was going to survive prison in Rome? He wasn't sure. And then he goes on, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is better by far. But it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Circle back to this idea that whatever happens, whatever happens, we will walk with Jesus. And what Paul says is is difficulty is going to come. Things will be difficult. They will be hard. Paul's in prison, hopeful that he's going to get out someday, but really not quite sure. Again, a, a constant in our lives is change, and that always brings uncertainty. Our job is in the midst of the circumstances and uncertainties of life to, is to stay faithful. God is not done with us yet, and he didn't bring us this far just to kill us. Remember the accusation that the children of Israel used in the desert of Sinai. God, you brought us out here to kill us. There weren't enough graves in Egypt. That's not how God operates. Difficulty will come. You stay faithful. And he encourages them, keep the main thing the main thing. Is Christ being preached? See, Paul is aware that his detractors have taken advantage of his imprisonment, that they're building their kingdoms by preaching the gospel for personal gain. Their motives are all messed up. But rather than railing against his critics... Rather than writing a book about how they're wrong and he's more right. He just says, hey, at the end of the day, is, is Christ being preached? Are people hearing about Jesus? Because that's what matters. Trust that God is going to do what he is going to do. Do you know that there are hundreds of denominations in the United States? Hundreds. Dozens of Baptistic associations and denominations and networks. Is that because there are that many different missions? No. It's because there have been relational conflicts that have occurred, and then it's been papered over with some kind of theological issue most of the time. Because we lose sight of the main thing. There are a lot of churches in this area, right around you. Stanwood, Camino, Arlington. A lot of them are not like you, and you're not like them. The question is this. Do they preach Christ? The question isn't, do I like their style? Do you feel the difference? The question isn't, do I like their style? The question is, do they preach Christ? I spoke... um, Earlier this year up in Bellingham, it was the triennial gathering of the Advent Christian denomination. You ever heard of them before? Anybody? Advent Christian? Yeah, none of you. I hadn't either. Uh, Very small denomination. They are on the decline. Uh, I was in the room because they hadn't had a church plant in over two decades anywhere in the country that had survived. And so uh, they're closing churches. They have money because of that. And so they're trying to figure out how do we plant churches, recognizing that 
if they don't keep starting churches, they won't exist. They're different than me. Some of their polity is different. Some of their, uh, how they, they do things is different. But I was in the room celebrating with them, seeking to be on mission with them because they are centrally focused on Jesus. And what Paul is saying, we need to remember as well. Stay focused on the main thing, is Christ being preached? And say with Pastor Paul, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. See, when Paul says these words, he's not being suicidal. This isn't some kind of foreshadowing or a cry for help. He's actually legitimately torn between being with Jesus in eternity and sticking around here to be useful to us, to love us, to encourage, to serve his brothers and sisters. And that can be really hard for us to, to get to. We get comfortable, we get busy, we get distracted. And I want to learn to say, like Paul, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He, he distills his circumstances down to that statement. Whatever happens, you walk with Jesus. Verse 27, here's that key verse. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. And this is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it's been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you're going through the same struggle that you saw that I have, and now here that I still have. A couple of years ago, I was hiking on the Pacific Crest Trail. Well, I'll share that story in just a moment. Let me wrap up. We're going to be going to communion in just a moment and remembering what Christ has done for us. Paul's encouragement to a group that were in uncertain times, not sure of what was coming next. Whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Whatever happens, you walk with Jesus. Whatever happens. Marriage is difficult right now. It's been a rough week. You're smiling, <laughs> but it's not been easy. Whatever happens, you walk with Jesus. Whatever happens, your finances are running out. You're not sure how you're going to make it to the end of the year or the end of the month or the end of the year or the end of the week. Your son or daughter, perhaps, is making decisions that you wish that they wouldn't. Your grandson, your granddaughter. Amy and I have been parenting now for 31 years, six kids in a couple weeks, seven grandkids. We have learned with many of you that there is no pain quite as particular, quite as acute as the pain of watching a son or daughter, grandson or granddaughter, make choices that you wish that they wouldn't. And you pray for them, and you weep for them, and you wait, and you wait.
Maybe your job is uncertain. Maybe you've been mistreated in a friendship or, or things are, are at odds with somebody that it's now hard to see in the grocery store. Maybe you've got some health issues and there's some tests that are being run. Maybe you've been dis disappointed by someone or something or even been disappointed by the church or by God himself. Maybe you're feeling a little insecure or anxious or vulnerable. Whatever happens, whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. You walk with Jesus. A few summers ago, I was hiking in between Stampede Pass and Chinook Pass. I don't remember how long that section is. It was either 30-some miles or 50-some. I'm not exactly sure. But I was moving quickly, doing um, as many miles as I could a day. Lots of hills, lots of bugs, lots of empty, burned-out forest. One day, I walked 17 miles and was in burned-out forest the entire way. Hot, sad dead. And a lot of times on a long trail, you can, you can look ahead and you can see in a large basin or, or, or big vista, you can see where the trail goes. And, and I would often, as I'm walking and I'm, I'm about to jump on a section, my, my boys and I are looking at doing Stevens Pass to Snoqualmie uh, this summer, uh, taking a few days to do that. And, and there will be moments where we will look ahead at the trail, like this picture behind me. And from where I'm standing on this trail, you can see the switchback coming up to where I'm standing. And then if you look all the way across the basin, you can see the trail just beneath that peak about halfway down. And there would be moments where I would just be so tired and my legs would be so achy and I'd be so thirsty or so hungry and just think, I just wish I, I was at the airport at one of those moving walkways, right, where I could just kind of, and it'll get me there. Or suddenly a magic carpet will arrive. I mean, these are the thoughts that go through your head hiking solo on a long trail. And I would just think, I wish I could skip some of these steps. I wish I could skip some of these rock slides. I wish I didn't have to go over another stinking pass today. But I want to get there. And the only way to get there is to keep putting one foot in front of the other. There is no magic carpet. There is no moving walkway. You just keep being faithful. Take the next step. Put one foot in front of the other. The path is long. It's rocky. It's beautiful. It's painful. But it's worth it. Take the next step. God is calling Cedar home through a season of transition, of change, of uncertainty. How do we respond as individuals? How do we respond as a church family? Ready? Whatever happens, whatever happens, we walk with Jesus. Amen?